Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in five... Four, three, two, show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Great to be with you. Good to be back in studio. A fine Balls McWednesday to you and yours. I got the day right, don't I? Yeah, I think I do. I'm Jeff. Director Matthew in studio. T. Lizzie uh, here to produce as well. That's a good thing. He does so from afar, from here on out. That's all right, though. Get used to it. It'll work. (sighs) Okay, let's exhale. Michael Mestri, a financial services litigator in uh, <clears throat> Charlotte, North Carolina, part of one of the big boys there, going to join us. Also, a Florida State grad. Uh, in the second segment of the show, let's talk all things lawsuit. Let's get to uh, figuring out the, the the whole situation there. That's because we've got two things on our minds right now. The transfer portal. What Florida State does or does not do in uh, in the way of bringing in players from the transfer portal to try to add and bolster a roster that has a few holes. And then number two, uh, obviously the lawsuit and what we can learn moving forward about uh, where that's going, when when it's going to happen, and uh, when I say when it's going to happen, when developments are going to happen, those kinds of things. We are in studio. This is live chat away everybody it is good to see you tom how are you brother hey man i'm in the office now it's bare bones but we're working on it we're working on it we'll get some more <laughs> stuff in there at least there's the shea stadium and the uh, and the florida state baseball which is about a month away yeah uh, license plates up it was more about getting the internet connectivity going in the office and we're going to eliminate the echo all that kind of stuff but i'm feeling good how about you I'm great, man. I'm in a good mood. Uh, I, I think the conversation with Michael is a good one. Uh, we we had that conversation earlier today. That's the only aspect of the show that won't be live, but it was earlier today before coming in here. Uh, both of us busy guys. We had to meet in the morning. Meet in the morning and get this thing knocked out, and I think you guys will like his insights, and, and we'll go from there. You know, I thought we could get knee-deep in this. I could talk about Florida Statute 542.18, restraint of trade or commerce. Every contract combination or conspiracy in uh, in restraint of trade or commerce in this state is unlawful. You guys know that. You're aware of that already, I'm sure. 
Or we could just talk big picture here and kind of figure out what's what and go from there. And that's what we decided to do, which I think uh, is gonna is gonna work out nice. We'll, we'll, I'm in a good mood here. I, I'm I'm really, I think, excited about what happens next. By the way, I know you saw it. Everybody at Florida State or around Florida State or in any way connected to Florida State cares at all about Florida State. Has probably seen it by now, but it's great to watch that clip of Mike Norvell addressing the team in the locker room. After I could watch that over and over and over again, and I'll tell you why. Um, that that's, that's an illustration of what should happen. Like that, Your head coach should be that way. If, you, if you're fortunate and you hired the right guy, then he stands on rock-solid principles and cares deeply about his players and is teaching the right things and is saying the right things when opportunities present themselves, both good, bad, and otherwise. And so that is further affirmation of something you already knew, but to hear it and to hear the emotion involved in it, once again, is a reminder of the passion, uh, the enthusiasm, and the connection, the love of, uh, of, of Mike Norvell and that staff and what they have for these players. I thought that was fantastic. I was uh, happy to see it. A lot of times, I get it, with these cinematic recaps, you can kind of make things, I don't know, something they're not. Other times, they just capture a moment, and it's awesome that they captured a real moment, an authentic moment, and one that I think made us all very, very happy. And I don't say that because, you know, listen, I, I will – criticize when there's room to be critical. I will praise when there's room to praise and everything in between. I just thought it was it was awesome to watch that. It made me smile last night. A little choked up. A little choked up watching that thing right there, buddy. It got me in the feels. Well, you can understand why he's on the dais for the postgame press conference, and he too is choked up because he just got done delivering that message, mm-hmm. and he was trying to gather himself, gather together, and he had moments where he couldn't. You know, it's just – as the game ends, I think we all did this. You know, you're reflecting on the month. And December, you know, it wasn't that long ago here on these airwaves that we would talk about how September is the worst month for Florida State across any of them on the calendar until it wasn't. And then this past December, at least for me, in my lifetime of really watching and caring about the Knowles and my entire adulthood post-undergrad, December was the absolute worst month. It just whatever could go wrong did go wrong. And I think that was all finally coming to the surface for Mike because he had to power through for signing day. He had to power through for the locker room, power through to prepare for the Orange Bowl, even though it was a farce, just all of those things. And finally, it hit him. And I'm glad it did because the players need to see that. And it's important that they see that, that that's their last image of coach heading into the offseason. And now there's a lot of work to be done, and that's the hard part, right? You 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 have that moment. We said in the pregame show when we were predicting that Florida State was going to get blown out. I don't know that we knew 63-3 to was on the horizon, but we knew it was going to be a lopsided game. And then when we got word in the pregame show that both Braden Fisk and Farmer were going to be out, and then we found out Bethune was going to be out, all of it. You know, it just kept stockpiling more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. You thought, well... It's a distinct possibility, but the only bit of relief that we were given in that moment was that soon they'll kick this thing off, and before it's all said and done, it'll be over, and we can move on. Because I think everybody wanted to move on, frankly, on the day that Florida State was snubbed. Everybody was ready to move on because we didn't care about that game, and not in the wake of what they had just achieved and been robbed from accomplishing right and so then from there you just thought okay well fine let's just get on with it and you know you're going to take this drubbing 
and we can talk about aspects of it and everything in between. But from here, uh, let's 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 begin to continue to build on the success that Florida State just had. And to be sure, thirteen and zero conference champions, winners of nineteen straight prior to that exhibition loss means that Florida State is moving in the right direction. But you're going to have to convince a few, especially younger kids who don't know any better, that Florida State is fine after that result, fine after that devastating, lopsided affair. We know that, but you have to convince them of that. And Mike has to assess lots of things right about now, and that includes how he delivers these messages and talks to these kids in the transfer portal. And now we know that uh, DJ will be – Quarterbacking here in Tallahassee, um, that's a young man that really wants to be here, wanted to be here all along. When he came here upon that visit, he left here wanting the opportunity to quarterback here. Uh, him at his best is a very good quarterback. So let's see if they get that out of him. It's a bridge for now. I'll be honest with you, Tom. I would have been okay had they not done it. I've got no problems with DJ. Uh, I think he's going to be a nice fit here. I think he's going to work hard. And again, DJ's physical tools on his best days, he's a plus-plus player. Uh, but I, I I would have been all right with, uh, frankly, them going with Brock Glenn. I, I would have been okay with that. They could have gone one of two ways. And the reason I say that is you probably would have saved a lot of money and you could have sunk that into linebacker, defensive line, offensive line, defensive end. And that's where I really think Florida State has to look at uh, developing more depth and talent. Yeah, I thought Brock was very impressive in the in the Orange Bowl. You know, you look at the stat line and it won't look impressive no. and you'll say, I'm crazy. But if you watch it and you see the decisions he made, the internal clock that showed up that wasn't there in the ACC championship game, right. some of the throws that the receivers did not come down with, but the placement of those throws, yeah, he made some mistakes. He missed a wide-open guy as he was rolling out to his right and breaking the pocket. Missed a read in the end zone as well. He wasn't perfect, but it was leaps and bounds better than the ACC championship game. And that was really good to see because, you you know, some guys sometimes are the reverse of of gamers. Like they do well in practice and they get in the games and you're just not so sure they can clear that hurdle. Brock is not afraid, man. Plus, his acceleration is better than I even saw in practice. Like when he's breaking the pocket, his zero to 60, it's not like he's going to be Jordan Travis or anything, don't get me wrong, but it's just his zero to 60 is pretty quick. So if, if he sees an opening, he can take advantage of it. But all that said, what DJ does is stabilize things in a couple of ways. Number one, he stabilizes the position. Number two, I think he stabilized the program a little bit because it was a run of good news for Florida State on New Year's Day where DJ makes his decision. All those quarterbacks are picking their destinations. And then the battle's end rolls out about six other players that are retained year over year, including a bunch of guys in the trenches. So it signaled a nice bit of stability that we have been yearning for for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, and I think it will pay dividends in recruiting the portal. I think that there's no doubt seeing stability at quarterback, as you're describing it, means you're more apt to get somebody who's a one-year guy to come here because that guy is going to say, hey, look, maybe Brock's going to be nice, but I don't know how nice next year. It's still going to be learning on the job nice, whereas I know DJ is a very good player, and I know he can be very, very good. Uh, but I know we're going to have stability at the most important position on the field. Now, it'll be interesting to see. I think they'll go after another receiver. I wouldn't spend a lot on receiver. I would uh, that just me per you know, personally, I would probably not spend a lot on receiver. Um, but I, I would look at maybe another receiver 
and I certainly at this point would look at offensive and defensive line, and I mean across the board, whether that's defensive end, whether that's you know tackle, whatever you want to look at, I would do that. I think Florida State's got to find that. And we know, and I've talked about this at length, I've broken record with this, uh, I don't love our linebacker coach. I don't think he recruits worth a damn. And I don't think we're seeing a lot of development at that position. So if he were to take it on down the road, I'd be fine with that. Other than that, he's kicking ass. <laughs> so you know where I'm at on this. And and I, you know, it's one of those things where maybe years ago I'd be beating the table about the need to fire somebody, but I can just state it very clearly now and move on. And that is that um, I would fire Randy Shannon. I would have not hired Randy Shannon, and I would fire him hours ago. That's, that's, that's what I would do. <laughs> but again, I don't like to talk about these things. I don't like to you know, just continue to clamor for people to be fired. So you won't hear me prattling on about Randy Shannon and firing Randy Shannon and the need to fire Randy Shannon. I won't do it. I'll just I'll let it play out. See what happens from here. See what happens from here. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. You just don't know. I don't know. I don't think you've said enough on the matter. How do you feel? How do you feel about what Florida State should do? The health of the linebacker position. <laughs> I mean. I, Truth be told, though, this week, this week, there's a ton of dudes they're hosting. So this is a big week ahead. You know, there's there's a little bit more unsettling. Um, if you're an old fan about closing on a couple of guys, maybe a prized recruit who is arriving either today or tomorrow from Purdue, a defensive end, uh, some other big names in the trenches as well. I mean, this is this period of about four days is huge to see what spring ball is going to look like. Then after that, once you get about halfway through this month, you know who you're going to have for spring ball and then let the best man win until uh, we go back into the portal again in the spring. We talked about uh, the you know the sort of the portal discussion and which players that you're most excited about and what they'd be willing to do and not do in the portal and and uh, this is it's a fluid situation I know that's an overused phrase but it's a fluid situation because everybody's roster is fair game these days and so a lot of guys who maybe haven't entered the portal are still feeling out the portal waters without it letting anybody know. And I know we like to live in a world where we'd like to believe that people aren't tampering with other people's rosters. Well, they are. So, you know, you might see a, a Nick Scorton kid, the, the Purdue edge rusher that you referenced a moment ago, 6'4", 280. Uh, all the production to go with the size is uh, one of the best prospects uh, available in the portal. And we have a need, given that Jared Diverse, Jared Verse is departing, uh, and and so you would like to see that come to pass. But I would also, I mean, I they've got probably six guys that I think they're looking at right now that we would all be excited about. Who knows if they get all of them? But then there are all of those kids we don't know that may be interested, and that's the stuff that I always caution people. Like, eh, you know, they may not want a wide receiver right now but what if just like Keon Coleman I mean just think about how that happened they weren't exactly out there looking for it and the next thing you knew Keon Coleman not only put his name in the portal but he was interested in Florida State and we knew he was a difference maker so you got to make a run at it when you get an opportunity like that well and yeah that's where DJU could bring you maybe some opportunities that you didn't have before and and the more that it shakes out like you know I thought between option one of letting it ride with Tate Brock and Cromenhawk for the spring and option two of non cam ward 
you know, and, and then you've got some mixture of guys battling in the spring. I would have taken the in-house options. But then the moment Tate rides on Christmas Day after practicing for a couple of weeks and says that he's not going to play in the Orange Bowl and he's entering the transfer portal, this is a good get. Like, this is it, it went from, all right, I could see it to, no, you need to make this happen. Because what DJ does is he makes Florida State more attractive in the portal. But then also, I mean, if you think about it, it's just Brock and Cromenhawk in terms of other guys who have scholarships that are going to be here yeah. in the spring. Yeah. So to have somebody to shepherd those young guys along, even though he's going to be learning the offense himself, to have somebody to shepherd those guys along, teach them about you know the trials and tribulations, because this is his third program. He's seen it work, and he's seen it fail, and he's seen several different offenses. This is nice in a couple of ways for Florida State to have this guy say yes and and want to be here too. Like He's very enthusiastic about being a Noel. That matters too at a time where – People were questioning the culture of the locker room uh, openly. Not smart people. During, during the 60 minutes of the of the bowl game, just yeah. pointing, boy, Georgia, oh, my goodness. Well, this is a nice answer to that because it stabilizes the program in several ways. Yeah, so the season is uh, completed, and we uh, wanted to be sure we got on the record with somebody. Now, we, we were leading up to Christmas. Obviously, it was kind of a disjointed schedule and then obviously you have the holiday everybody's schedule gets crazy we have yet on the jeff cameron show been able to sit down and on the air have a conversation with an attorney and somebody that can help shed some light on the lawsuit because that's the other big subject right now that we're all going to be paying attention to is how does this get resolved how quickly does it get resolved what does it mean what are the options for florida state does this ever go through trial does this actually play out in a way in which it goes to trial or not so uh, I'm, I have the good fortune of knowing several attorneys uh, that are very good at what they do, very intelligent, very insightful, and uh, I wanted to get one of those guys on the air, uh, and this happens to be, again, a financial services litigator in Charlotte. He's also a Florida State grad. Michael Mestre joins us next on The Jeff Cameron Show. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply hello there podcasters oh don't worry i won't prattle on for two minutes like i do with some of the other reads zaxby's doesn't demand it of me <laughs> Zaxby's like, look, just tell everybody that we have the best chicken sandwich in all the land. That's easy. I can do that. I can attest to that. A delicious, thick, juicy, tasty Zaxby's chicken sandwich is where it's at. Of course, the strips are a given. You like the strips. We get the strips on game days. The platters are lifesavers. Mm -hmm. If you're going to a party, a pool party, say, this summer, and what do I bring? Just bring a Beer Giant thing. No. and Zaxby's. Worry about the beer. You bring the Zaxby's, you're going to be the hero. Just uh, make sure you get all the sauces, too. They've got like 97 sauces, and they're all delicious. I don't know if you guys know this. There are 27 Zaxby's in Tallahassee alone. 27. You can't miss them. I think that's true in general in every city in America. They're like so, peach trees in Atlanta. They're everywhere. Look around. Find you a Zaxby's and get after it. By the way, your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 18 years. 
Go Knowles. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Welcome in. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Warchant TV. Been wanting to do this for a while. We had to get out to the other side of the holidays in order to do it. If you're watching on Warchant TV right now, you'll see a gentleman. His name is Michael Mestri, financial services litigator in the Charlotte area. He's an old, ladies and gentlemen, and he joins us on the Jeff Cameron Show now. Uh, a lot of big credentials. He's with one of the big boys, but we won't get into the weeds with all of that. I did want to have an attorney on the show, and I wanted it to be somebody, Michael, like yourself, that I could talk to as this thing goes along. We're entering into the off season now. Um, for every Florida State fan, that means paying attention to the transfer portal, but also FSU's blistering lawsuit against the ACC. Some have said, and I quote, Michael, it's the kind of lawsuit that, quote, could shake college sports and potentially set off another unsettling wave of conference realignment if FSU succeeds in court and withdraws from the ACC. And while that's juicy and fun to talk about, I want to get your initial impression of the complaint. And did anything stand out to you when you first read it? Yeah, Jeff, thanks, and, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, kind of my initial thoughts was that, uh, like a lot of attorneys that I've talked to, this suit has some teeth more than kind of what was anticipated, you know, throughout this time. Um, they, they bring forth a declaratory judgment action, which is basically, you know, asking the court to, you know, answer for the parties what is the enforceability of this contract and the grant of rights as well as the multimedia agreement with ESPN. And so it's interesting to see, you know, how the attorneys for uh, FSU kind of went at it. Um, and, and it will be interesting to see how this plays out in the future. So, okay, look, the complaint was filed in state court in Florida. It seeks to nullify more than $500 million in penalties. And that's what FSU would face if they left the league now it, 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 as you're noting, it also asked the court to deem that Florida uh, issued its formal notice of withdrawal, by the way. A lot of people didn't know this from the ACC effective August 14th, 2023 is what it's saying, which is a kind of a big deal, right? Um, it doesn't at any point say where FSU might be going afterwards, but it does accuse the ACC of incompetence and mismanagement. And it's asking the court to declare that its agreements with the league have been breached on several counts. When you read through it, did, was that something that surprised you? Was it something that you thought an interesting approach? I guess from the angle that FSU took, what are your thoughts regarding those accusations? Yeah, and you know, I, I want to lay the groundwork that a, a lot of the legal writing in complaints um, is, is can be, you know, a, a lot of grandstanding. Um, so, you know, a lot of these allegations, um, you know, you, you take with a grain of salt. But you know, there are some, you know, allegations within here that you know hold some weight if there's truth to it. You know, such that you know m maybe not all of the member institutions, you know, signed the grant of rights or agreed to the multimedia agreement with ESPN. Uh, it's also interesting that they specifically note and compare the exit fees and the penalties involved to those that ESPN has with the SEC, and and how the penalty clause is just so exorbitant and, and so uh, large compared to um, what is 
going to be potentially the damage to the ACC. Now, one of the things that FSU specifically uh, puts in their allegations is that, you know, back in uh, 2012, I believe, they did an analysis, an economic analysis of what it would cost the ACC for a member institution to leave. And then when they talk about the you know exit fee as of the 2016 grant of rights and the multimedia agreement with ESPN, there's no discussion and, and specifically they talk about you know not having any sort of economic analysis and they just choose such a ridiculous number in order to get the parties out which leads credence to their allegations that you know this penalty is an unenforceable penalty it's something that has no relationship to you know what the parties are going to suffer in damages um so you know it, it's interesting and like i said we'll see kind of as this plays out more and more about kind of what their strategy is but it is interesting to see some of the uh, assertions that they're making so michael i i again we're just kind of taking a big cursory glance at this thing and establishing our relationship so that we can continue to talk about this moving forward. I, I, when I, when I look at something like this and I'm just speaking for Joe public here um, and I read that Florida state had been reviewing Florida state's legal counsel, as well as an outside law firm had been reviewing the grant of rights for over a year. And they began working on legal arguments dating back to last summer. So in my head, and I said this to you when we were off the air, I was like, were they looking at like, what kind of Faustian bargain is this? You know, where it like, it, like how, where do they start? Where do they, do they look at something like that and go, look, here are the holes. Here are the ways we can attack this because we've been told repeatedly that quote unquote, the grant of rights deal is ironclad. So this is a two part question to you. A, how did they come at it in your mind? Because you've been involved in big cases like this. And I, the other thing I would say is if the, grant of rights was ironclad did it not seem excessive and even punitive and in bad faith that the acc assumed florida state was going to file this lawsuit and beat him to the punch in order to try to stop florida state from challenging the grant of rights and why would you be worried about that if it was ironclad yeah so i could talk about the acc's actions kind of first they filed their suit the day before the board of trustees meeting at 455 right at the end of the business day um you know they in their complaint against florida state which they assert a declaratory judgment action as well uh, regarding the grant of rights and in their complaint they include you know somewhere between i think like 17 and 20 paragraphs in their you know jurisdiction and venue section of the complaint meanwhile in florida state suit it was a total of four paragraphs Typically, what you see in declaratory judgment actions or actions as a whole is that the jurisdiction and venue portion of a complaint is typically very small. And, you know, because there's not really an issue as to where the suit is being brought. Now, it's clear that the ACC, when they brought their suit the day before, made venue and jurisdiction a huge issue in their complaint. It was very clear that. You know, they wanted to preempt this suit by FSU in order to try and get home field advantage. Um, that is, you know, very clear by the wording of the complaint. Uh, it, it's very important. Um, and so it, it's very clear that, you know, I, I'm not going to speak to whether there's any sort of bad faith, but it does seem that the ACC made some, some sort of concerted action to try and 
get the most favorable jurisdiction and venue to them. So, As to sorry, yeah. I want to. I while we're on that subject of venue and the effort to, to have home field advantage, as you put it, well, both sides want that. You and I have talked about this before. Does this then in turn mean that this goes to a federal court? So that's a little bit of a nuanced issue. Now <laughs> we have a suit, we have a suit filed in uh, Florida by FSU and a suit filed in, in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina uh, by the ACC concerning the same issue. Now, there are issues with claim preclusion and issue preclusion, which are kind of the civil version of double jeopardy. Um, and so there's going to be uh, either they're going to work together and maybe discuss removing the matter to federal court based on diversity um, or, you know, the federal court has more discretionary jurisdiction when there's a declaratory judgment action. So there's no guarantee a federal court is going to take up the issue, but the parties could work together, try and remove and consolidate the issue there. Now, it's definitely going to be a issue between both parties. They're going to try and file motions to uh, move the matter to their jurisdiction. They're going to try and say that it's the improper venue or that the parties are not subject to that jurisdiction. Uh, we saw in the Maryland suit back in 2013 that Maryland brought a motion that they the uh, court in North Carolina had no jurisdiction over them. They sought it on pretty different grounds than what I suspect for a state will, um, but we were definitely gonna see probably in the next 30 to 60 days, either some sort of motion regarding, you know, trying to get it in the right court or what they believe is the, the more favorable jurisdiction to them, or some sort of concerted action together to try and remove the matter and maybe consolidate the issue. Uh, that'll be a kind of a, a strategy between each party, what they think is going to be uh, most likely to be successful. Uh, but both of these guys have very smart attorneys. I work with uh, Womble and Greenberg, and they're both really good at their job. So I suspect that we're going to find out pretty soon what's going to happen. The second, I, I, I interrupted you rudely and asked you to answer a question while you were answering another question that I had. So let's go back to that other one that I asked you, the second part of that other one. Uh, which is how do you begin to tackle what I, I joked about it, called it a Faustian bargain. I'm wondering like what the, what they looked at as an attorney yourself when you do this, when you look at something that is broad and big as this, how do you go about putting together, I mean, a year's worth of studying this legal document and attacking and finding holes in it? Yeah, so it, it is very interesting that this kind of agreement is kept lock and key away yeah, in like why? North why, Carolina. Why? <laughs> It's very strange. Uh, I deal with a lot of confidential agreements where both parties have access to the agreement and there's no problem with providing access to the agreement to each party. And should you release that information, you're subject to penalties under the confidentiality agreement. There's no reason to potentially keep the agreement in lock and key. It was obviously some part of the agreement between the ACC and ESPN to do that, to hide it away. The purpose for which, you know, it's it's hard to say at this point, but it's very strange. Now, for them to go up and see this agreement this often, it's costly. It's very expensive to do that. So 
for them to do that and spend the time to evaluate every single line and every single part of this contract, they were going through it step by step to just kind of isolate, okay, here's where the issues are. You learn, you know, as an attorney that your your job is to issue spot. You receive something and you look through it and you say, okay, where are the issues in this contract or this uh, complaint or whatever it may be. And so they, they spent time up there looking at it, looking through all the provisions of it and tried to spot where some of the issues might be. Um, you know, they, they've got to do their due diligence and obviously they only have a limited amount of time there considering it's in lock and key under lock and key. So it obviously going to take a lot longer such the year that it took. Um, but you know, it's just kind of a, regular process in, in reviewing and understanding all the provisions and all the possibilities. So you're issue checking, spot issue checking. You're looking for anything that you can attack here. You've got a situation that is very unique. As you point out, it's very costly. You lawyers aren't cheap by the hour, good sir. And so these <laughs> folks are making <laughs> billable, billable hours is undefeated, right? So... <laughs> So uh, they're more than happy to go on up there and analyze this, but it is absurd to the layman to think about an agreement to the extent of this one with hundreds of millions of dollars closing in on a billion dollars worth of agreements to be under lock and key that nobody can go and look at this. What the hell kind of agreement is that? If you simplify it, like if you and I decide we're going to buy a plot of land together or a driveway or something small, like we're all going to be able to look at the contract. There's money exchanging hands here. What are we doing? That's crazy to me. And as an attorney and not a layman, it's crazy to me as well. It's very strange. You know, I deal with a large, a lot of large financial institutions in America, and these companies make millions and billions of dollars, and they don't have these confidential agreements, you know, with parties under lock and key. You know, there are some confidential agreements that, you know, are hidden away from people who aren't party to the agreement, but to withhold parties to this agreement that they are subject to and keep it away from, from their side is very strange. It's, it's not something I would typically see. All right. So one, one more here, maybe a couple more, just out of curiosity. Um, so I looked at, you know, we won't get into restraint of trade with Florida antitrust law. Like you said, you're an attorney in Charlotte. And even though you went to school here and later Stetson, you, you're, you're not going to get real comfortable in getting into the depths of antitrust law in Florida right now. But what about um, the, 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 the contractual price of exiting the ACC, uh, i.e. the $429 million in forfeited revenue plus $130 million withdrawal payment, that could be deemed unenforceable. A lot of people have heard that, right? That that penalty, you, you referenced it earlier in this conversation. I want to go back over that because I find that fascinating. In my mind, what I heard you say, and I'm really boiling it down to the simplest of terms here, that seems overly penal. It seems to be absurdist on its face, that cost. Is that, in essence, what Florida State is saying? Hey, this, this is a crazy amount of money. This is way too punitive. Yes, that's exactly what they're saying. The relationship to uh, between the fees and what it would cost to exit is just absolutely out of relation completely. You know, the analogy that I give is, 
if I enter into agreement to purchase, let's say a Toyota Corolla for $10,000 and you say, all right, you have to pick it up by January 1st, 2024. But if you don't, you owe me a billion dollars. <laughs> that is nowhere near in relationship to the damages right. that's suffered by the person holding the car for another day or however long they have to hold the car for. That would be an example of something they're trying to say is an unenforceable penalty. So the courts kind of go back and forth on this because, you know, when you have experienced parties, educated parties, um, parties who are involved in, you know, high level agreements like this all the time, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into at the time. Um, so, you know, in the example, I am not someone that's buying tens of thousands of cars a day. So I don't know what it's going to cost to hold a car. And so it's different um, in those situations versus these high level actors. And so the courts sometimes will allow penalties that do go beyond, you know, what the damage to the parties would be in certain circumstances. In this case, FSU is obviously arguing that regardless, this is just a ridiculous and, and completely, you know, penal penalty that's just so ridiculous in size that it's um, unrelated to any damages that anyone would suffer, regardless of whether we knew at the agreement and at the time of the agreement or not. Okay. This is overly simplistic. It is my final question for now. I was jotting down notes when we first got to know each other and thinking about questions I'd have for you. And I kept coming back to this because I think every Florida state fan wants to just know this. They want a timeline and they also want to know, is this ever going to go to trial or was this meant mainly to bring people to a bargaining table to create a conversation by which a number is formulated. Now that's an opinion of yours. It's an opinion of mine. It's a speculative thing. I get it. I'm not asking you for to say, Hey, I know based on this, this, and this, this is what's going to happen. We don't know that, but big picture. Am I right to think that that's kind of where, why this happened? Or do you think it will go through trial? Yeah, and to all of Seminole Nation, the wheels of justice turn very slowly. While we may see kind of where the motion practice is and the answers of the complaint and the removal process with this venue may happen within the next 30 to 60 days, um, the actual resolution of either suit is going to take a very, very long time. For me, the majority of suits that get brought and in some sort of settlement agreement. Suits allow parties to go to mediation, get at the uh, table and discuss negotiating an agreement that's fruitful to both parties. And in this case, it's very likely, I, I believe it's very likely that that's gonna be the case. There's gonna be some sort of agreement. And the main purpose of that is it is expensive to bring a lawsuit. It's expensive to go through discovery. It's expensive to, to bring motions. It is expensive. And so that expense alone will most likely bring people to the negotiating table. Now we will see when, and you know, how this plays out, how discovery plays out, um, where this is likely to go. Um, but I do think that this is something where both parties are going to, talk and sit at a table and say, okay, how can we work this out? Whether it be letting FSU leave the ACC or by 
working to try and get some sort of new agreements or unequal uh, revenue distribution, something that's going to be fruitful that will allow the parties to save face and, and drop both suits. I think the fear, right, would be that, well, the ACC's got more money as a league than Florida State does. They could wait this out and say, well, you can go broke. <laughs> and you'd be worried about it, right? And and that's definitely something that both parties are going to consider at the negotiating table. Obviously, having more money gives you a little bit more leverage in negotiating. But, you know, we're talking millions of dollars and, you know, they, uh, you know, don't want to give away millions of dollars for no reason that that's just something that we don't see lots of parties do um so it, if there's a way to save money and come to some agreement that both parties are okay with they'll likely do that now discovery changes that a lot what they find out throughout the process of this lawsuit changes that a lot it changes the leverage on both sides of the parties uh, but we'll see that as it as it plays on discovery is always so juicy in the movies it's like you, you you find out, oh, Jerry sent a late night email after one too many scotches. And then look at this, and we're reading about it now, and ACC's been exposed, <laughs> or vice versa, yeah. right? Everybody, that's what happens in the movies. Yeah, you don't typically see that kind of smoking gun in real life, <laughs> like you would see in, in Suits or L.A. Law or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it does give you some insight into what's going on. And part of the biggest process in discovery is depositions. You can request depositions of another party, um, which tends to give you a little bit to me, um, in my experience, some better information as to you know what the party's insights were and, and what they were actually doing, regardless of what is on paper and in emails and, and what you find. Um, so that process will will bring us some better information. That's cool. You don't see too many conference commissioners being deposed or athletic directors or presidents of schools. Like that's it's fascinating the idea, but I don't think they like to be deposed either. So this will be <laughs> no. No, it is. It's grueling. It is not fun. It's not fun for anyone involved. Uh, you know, potentially you have multi-day depositions where it's you, uh, your lawyer and another lawyer in a small conference room and it lasts days. And it's just eight hours a day of being asked question after question after question. It's and you're under fun. oath, right? And, it, and you're under oath. Uh, you know, you're subject to perjury by what you say. And so it's just, uh, it's it's not exciting. Now, they will obviously take steps so that, you know, uh, the, the Florida State presidents or the, the commissioner of the ACC are not going to be deposed first. They can get a lot of that information by deposing other people. It will <laughs> typically be the last step where they, you know, depose someone like that. Uh, but we will see some some good information if it gets to that step. Michael, I'm going to be talking to you along the way as we get information and new information comes out. I'll need your expertise. I really appreciate you taking the time today with us on the Jeff Cameron Show and Warchant TV. And uh, listen, brother, be, uh, be on the ready. I'll have you in again soon. Thanks, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. That's Michael Mestri, financial service litigator there in Charlotte. He's part of one of the big firms, and we really appreciate him joining us right now on the show. Wanted to establish that relationship so that moving forward, as we get information, as things do happen in the case, we can have him on again and start uh, picking his mind as to where this is headed. 
Hey, Seminoles, we all know how important it is to score in the red zone, but are you prepared for success in the retirement red zone? Five years leading up to your retirement date and the immediate five years after are a critical time of thoughtful planning for you and your family. And our friend and fellow Noel, Adam Tolliver, and his team at Artisan Financial Strategies are prepared to coach you to victory. Some of us, well, we're at midfield and want to plan ahead. Others are ready to punch it in on the goal line. They're making sure you know how much you can spend without running out of money, protecting yourself and your family against rising health care costs, or carefully planning your legacy. The Artisan team brings a combined 30-plus years of planning experience and world-class resources to help you navigate the way. For more information, just head over to KnollRetirement.com. Now, that's one word, KnollRetirement.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Cameron Show, sponsored by Legendary Home Loans, a mortgage experience designed around speed, simplicity, and customer service. Before you buy your next home, contact our friend Shannon Young with Legendary Home Loans. Visit FSUHomeLoans.com. FSUHomeLoans.com. Quickly, heads up, Pinch Penny Pools and Spas, brand new website, TallahasseeHotspring.com. If you go to the website, submit your info in the contact form, get a reply with an exclusive discount you can only get by submitting your info online. So, if you're jealous of others with a hot tub and you've been thinking to yourself, man, I got some space for a hot tub and I'm tired of these aches and pains, muscle soreness, go make it happen. Online, TallahasseeHotspring.com. More on that later. Tom, I thought that was good. I thought that uh, Michael did a good job kind of laying out big picture stuff here. Short segment before we get to hour two and move on to other football-related items. But that's a big one, of course, and I can only hope, as do all of us, that this somehow gets settled sooner rather than later. I will say this for the uninitiated. uh, Florida State will be playing football in the ACC in 2024. That schedule is cemented. There is no... Getting out of that. That's going to happen. We'll all be over in Ireland together, I suppose, watching Florida State Georgia Tech, which, by the way, did you know? Florida State minus four and a half, the current line against Georgia Tech in Ireland. So there you go. You land that four and a half? Hmm. (laughs) Um, If I am, it's because of Florida State's reputation of whooping ass in the portal and, and the expectation that they will do so again. But as it stands right now, if you said, you have no other facts to go on and Florida state doesn't have that reputation. Then no, no, I'd, I'd wait and see, but I think they're going to do well on the portal again. So yeah. All right. Sure. Four and a half. Let's do it. I was very impressed uh, by Georgia tech season and the way that it ended and the way they got it turned around. I think that game, if you had asked me halfway through the season, uh, you know, and said, Jeff project ahead to Florida state and Ireland. What do you got? I think I would have said Florida state by, you know, 24. Now, seems like a right number. There's a lot that's going to happen to both programs over the course of the next several months, so it'll be interesting. Obviously, you'd like to think on the surface that Florida State is going to clean up yet again in the portal and do very well and in doing so position themselves to try to defend an ACC championship. That schedule is fun. Florida State does not really have room not to fill those those holes. Uh, They've got a tough schedule next year. And uh, a fun one, I think, uh, just in terms of covering and going to games and all of that. Florida State's got a fun and tough schedule. 
And, you know, I've said I don't think this is a championship team going into the next year, but admittedly we all would kind of want to see what, what we figure out here as far as defensive end. We already figured out the quarterback position. What do they add at running back and receiver? What do they add at linebacker and defensive tackle? Much easier to make a guess at that four and a half once you know the answers to that question, and right now we don't know. Yeah, if they get the kid from Purdue and you combine that with the retention of Patrick Payton, which happened on New Year's Day, and you have Marvin Jones Jr. as a rotation piece to go with the, some of the younger guys that you have, yeah, man, like defensive end, I don't know that you're as good as you were last year, but I think you might be. I think you might be. And then you have to shuffle and, and move your resources towards interior defensive line and linebacker and see what you can get. But if you do get the kid from Purdue, man, you've got yourself a badass rotation at end once again. You do, and they've seemed to have always found a way, you know, that yeah. to, to go get that guy. I think if you're a defensive end prospect, you're looking at Florida State as the place to go. Um, you know, we we back and documented really where they cemented their reputation was the fact that they were able to get the Jermaine Johnsons of the world and then later Jared Burst and turn those guys into into beasts. Hour number two, fourth coming. Stay with Jeff Cambridge on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. 